And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Piscalia. Thanks, everyone, for jumping on and joining me on this post-game podcast after the Bills defeat the Patriots for the third straight time. They uh, beat them 24-10 to in a game where it was as complete of a game as we've seen from the Bills really since the bye week, I would say. Because, you know, once they once they came back from the bye, they had the Packers game, then there was the Jets and the Vikings. The Browns game was good in spots, but also they allowed the Browns kind of to get themselves back into it. And then last week against the Lions, they were able to uh they were able to really charge forward and almost steal that that win away from the Bills. But this one against the Patriots just felt like it was an overall complete win doing exactly what they should have against a team that they were 6 and 5 so it's not like they were they were horrible but it's also a team that they were clearly more talented than and one that they should have been able to beat and if we're being honest, probably beat soundly based on how the Patriots offense has played so far this season. So we're going to get into a lot of different little facets from that game because I thought this game, not only was it a complete one from how they won, but there were so many little micro changes to how they did some stuff where this this was a pretty, um, I guess, huge game with how it could help shape what the rest of the season and maybe even the playoffs look like moving forward. So, uh, so yeah, there, I'm I'm excited to talk about a lot of this because there's just so much to jump into. But uh, but yes, so thank you for for jumping in on on this episode. I am recording this at 2:42 a.m. Uh, I just drove from Gillette Stadium to my hotel room in Providence. I've got a flight at 6 a.m. I'm an insane person. Don't know what I was thinking when I booked it, but somehow got the writing done, got on the road, and and got here to to do this podcast. So, uh, so yes, the uh, the mini buy and really the um, the plane ride where I'm probably going to crash can't get here soon enough. But we've got a, a good 45 minutes or so uh, of chatting about exactly what happened um, in this game. And how the Bills were able to do the the types of things that they did, and the way to understand this game from the outset is the reason why I like them to win the game. And I thought it might have been a little bit closer because 
And I still think they need they needed to iron some things out defensively, which they did. But the reason why I like them to win this game so much is because they were getting so many critical pieces back to both sides of the ball. Mitch Morse was back on the offensive line, which was huge for the middle of that line. Then you get Greg Rousseau back, who played a pivotal role for them, and I'll get more into that. Uh, A.J. Abanessa came back, which added to their defensive end rotation. Tremaine Edmonds, huge, uh, huge entrance into the starting lineup, especially because while A.J. Klein was better than Tyrell Dotson, it just was not the same from what it is to when to when you have Edmonds and Milano working together, and especially when you mix in some blitzes with those guys, it's just a it's just an entirely different operation. So getting all those players back into the swing of things was humongous. And then when you factor in Tredavious White on top of that in almost a full-time role against the Patriots, that's basically giving you four starters back into the lineup and another key rotational piece, and that's going to have an impact. So that's why I thought the Bills would be able to do what they needed to do in this game. And I think they mostly came away from the game healthy outside of Jordan Phillips. Reggie Gilliam didn't really play at all in the second half. So remains to be seen on those two guys. But like the the starters, they didn't suffer a critical loss that they did the previous game against the Lions with Von Miller. But where my mind kind of took me more than anything when going back and thinking and writing about this game is what they did on offense. Because they have been, the word I've really stuck to over the last several week weeks is disjointed. And I think it's pretty accurate for how they have operated. There have been bits and pieces where They look great. Josh Allen rescues them above all else, and they're able to put teams away when they need to. But there's also some other times in in those specific games where the offense just fizzles out, and at certain points in time during those games, looked borderline inept, whether it be from a blocking perspective or the quarterback not firing or the wide receivers failing the quarterback or the running backs not hitting the hole or the offensive coordinator being too predictable in his play calling. Like it was a, a full on not, not really a, like a single person's problem. It was just, it was always something, which is why I felt like, what they did against the Patriots, and let's let's not let's not like discredit ex- everything that the Patriots do just because their offense stinks. They have a lot of good pieces on defense, and those that listen to the show leading up to the game, our Patriots reporter at the Athletic, Chad Graff, made mention of the fact that this Patriots team, the way that they approached the offseason, and how they wanted to build this defense was with the bills in mind. They, they got faster. They play 
from what he said, at times for safeties. They have drifted out of uh, being a heavy man team. They still play like a fair share, but they are predominantly a zone-based defense. And that is a bit of a departure from what we've seen from Bill Belichick teams in the past. They had all these different elements, but when it came down to it, the Bills were still able to pick it apart in in a complete effort. And it wasn't in the same normal way that that we've seen from them. And yeah, it it still had, had some issues. Like the offensive tackle play for the Bills was not great. By all means, not... I mean, David Quesenberry struggled, predictably so. Spencer Brown, I thought, had some pretty poor reps in that game. Have to get my hands on the All-22 next week to see exactly how bad it was for those guys. But there were some pretty bad moments, and and that, that was to be expected. But the rest of the offense, I thought, was smoothing pretty... Uh, or smoothing pretty <laughs> sailing pretty smoothly. See, it's definitely almost three in the morning. I just said, almost said smoothing over Sally. Yeah, we're here. Um, so the way that they approached the offense, their overall identity was just a bit different. And they chose to run it on a team that has done pretty well against the run this season. They certainly have some good pieces, but I think the Bills were trying to catch them with putting smaller players on the field a lot in the same way that the Patriots tried to do to them in their first meeting last year in the wind game, which we all remember quite well, where Mac Jones only attempted two passes. It was... It was a job well done by by Ken Dorsey and certainly the the passing offense when they needed plays they were just they were on. And Josh Allen had a couple of turnover worthy throws. I'm not yeah, I made mention of this in the last episode. I'm I after coming away watching the the all 22 on the Lions game, I I came away I guess less uh concerned about what this elbow injury might be doing to him because I still think he functioned pretty well in that Lions game. There were some misfires, but it wasn't like this overwhelming problem. And I think the Patriots game kind of showed along the same lines today. There was one play that should have been picked off, but because uh, the safety made a nice play on the ball, but, you know, for the rest of the game, like, the play that went to Stefan Diggs, that got called back on a holding penalty, the 41-yard touchdown, I think it was, that got called back. That was a beautiful throw. So I'm I'm less concerned about, or I have been less concerned about what's going on with Josh Allen. But how they divvied things up was just very interesting to me today. Lots of... Uh, Lots of heavier formations from time to time that they would throw out of. Sometimes run, but they would throw out of it where it's either two tight ends or a tight end, a fullback or 
tight end and a sixth offensive lineman. They were trying to force the Patriots' hand one way or the other. And I also saw them mix in 10 personnel more often than they have previously. I can't recall a game this season where they have run 10 personnel more than maybe like two or three times. This one, I think they ran it five, six, maybe seven times throughout the game as I was tracking it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's a a wrinkle we haven't seen. And part of that was because they had some trust in John Brown and they put him in those formations. There was a few times where it was John Brown, Isaiah McKenzie, Stefan Diggs, and uh, Gabe Davis on the field all at once. But balancing all that out was the fact that their run game was going. And not like crazy levels, but enough to make an impact. And I think a big portion of it had to do with how they were handling their their running back room. And this, to me, was a true James Cook breakout uh, sort of game. You know, he he had a nice game a few weeks ago, but it was on very limited snaps where almost all his snaps he was getting the ball. What makes this one different is that Cook, for the first time in his Bills career, an NFL career, led the team in snaps. And he was electric uh, almost every single time he he, uh, touched the ball. Now, as Stefan Diggs said after the fact, he he said, I got to keep getting on him to, you know, pick his knees up so he doesn't fall in the open field and that was an issue it happened to him like two three maybe four times but outside of that you saw the potential of what he could bring to the offense that they just haven't had i really found it interesting that they did so after a week where they essentially benched him for the rest of the game because of a drop pass but they, they stuck with him and utilized him more than they ever have. And the results were were excellent. Like, he wound up with over 100 yards when you combine rushing and receiving. Six for 41 receiving. And then 14 for 64 rushing. Total of 105 yards. Just constantly putting pressure on the opposition. And I think this is something that's not just like a one-off because of how Sean McDermott talked after the game. I asked him what maybe they saw from James Cook in the week leading up to want to get him out there more. And I'll get the exact quote, but I said it was less about what he had done and more about just wanting to get like a rotation going a bit more. And how he phrased it, especially at the end, was pretty interesting. So uh, here's the quote. I thought they did a good job offensively. Coach Skipper of, of rotating different guys in there. It just wasn't all motor. And I think that's a good thing. The key 
words to that is, I think that's a good thing. Because we have heard from McDermott in some of these press conferences where he does some subtle messaging of how he wants things to be shaped. And saying it's a good thing that they're rotating these guys and and having Singletary play his lowest snap count of the year, or lowest percentage of the year, I should say, and not being the guy and putting more of both James Cook and Naheem Hines on the field. I think that is something that can translate to future weeks. Now, is James Cook going to be a 100-yard guy all the rest of the season? Probably not. This is this was a great outcome for him, and he took advantage of so many opportunities. And he also provides them an explosive quality that Devin Singletary just doesn't, especially as a pass catcher. But when you see the coach of the team really, not waxing poetic, but being complimentary of using a rotational running back group, that's why I think this this thing might stick moving forward. And in future games, they're not going to be as run heavy where, you know, James Cook is getting 14 carries and Devin Singletary is going to get 13 carries himself. But having that ability to run, and this is why it was so impressive, having the ability to run against a pretty good run defense of the Patriots, I think that's that's something that they can take and put in their back pocket for, for future. So keep your eye on James Cook. I think this was a, a really important week for him. And this was one of those little micro changes that, that I was talking about where, you know, maybe this is the path because last year, the key to them really charging forward offensively around this time last year was that they honed in on Singletary as pretty much the guy because the rest of their room was a bit inefficient or still trying to come back from injury. But this year, it seems like it might be the reverse effect, where you have this explosive quality in James Cook, you have a, a different type of running back in Naheem Hines, and then Devin Singletary is just kind of the constant that you know you can rely on, but... Are you going to get a crazy game from him? Usually not. There, It happens every once in a while, but usually not. So that is definitely something to keep in mind moving forward. I also found it interesting that after kind of showing it against the Browns a couple of games ago, and by it I mean putting James Cook and Naheem Hines on the field at the same time. They went away from it against the Lions. I think they only did it once. And then they didn't put Naheem Hines in the game after the first, I think, couple of possessions. He wound up with only four snaps. But that was not the case in this game. They brought back that Cook and Hines personnel grouping once again this time. And the results were were excellent. Like The way that... that um, 
Dorsey was utilizing Hines was pretty reminiscent of, and I'm not saying it's an exact fix because I have to, or an exact one for one because I have to like see how they're actually using them with uh, enhanced snaps that that we saw in this game. But it was it definitely reminded me of how Brian Dable used use utilized Isaiah McKenzie early in McKenzie's tenure with the Bills as more of a wide receiver four, wide receiver five gadget guy, where just constant in motion, um, and you have a lot of different, uh, just a lot of different eye candy going around for the defense. And when you went back and and look at the stats, they ran Hines and Cook in the same formation on 12 different plays. Which doesn't sound like a ton, but when you are only running it like maybe six or seven times and then doubling it the, the next time around or the next time that a team sees it, that's a bit more. And not only did they run it, they were successful. I think they gained a total of 78 yards, I want to say, on on those. I have to go back and, and look at uh, my notes. But it was averaging six and a half yards per play every time they ran that personnel grouping. And then when you look at the what the Bills did the rest of the time, so that was, yeah, 78 yards on 12 plays for 6.5 yards per play. On their other 60 plays, the Bills averaged only 4.6 yards per play. So that's almost two more yards per play in those personnel formations, in that personnel grouping, than what they got the rest of the game. So that's why they kept going with it. They They found success. It wasn't like... A constant. Sometimes it, it was, it blew up in their face, but it also yielded James Cook's twenty-eight yard run. So that's just another little wrinkle, which is why I came away really impressed by with what Ken Dorsey did in this game. And this was a, a definitely a a great um, response and a showing for him. Probably most impressed with with this game from him as I have been since early in the season when they were just kind of humming along because of how much they had to go through and figure out and against a good defense. I thought it was a job well done by all means. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I can't go too much farther talking about the offense without mentioning how dynamic Stefan Diggs was throughout the game. He, in the stats, weren't like crazy. Seven for 92 and a touchdown. But it just seemed like he had an extra gear. He was in a different stratosphere. The Patriots couldn't check him whatsoever. It just seemed like he was on and perpetually open. And a lot of his plays that he made, or catches, came on clutch situations. I believe three of his receptions came on third down to get the Bills to a first down. Another two were on second and long. I think one was a second and nine, another was a second and ten after uh, the Bills weren't that great on first down and got little to no yardage. Both of those plays went for 19 yards and got a first down. On a second and goal from the eight, which isn't exactly the best situation, especially because of how condensed the the goal-to-go area can be, just spits out a great route and gets to the, the sideline in the end zone and makes a great catch. And on top of that, the 41-yard touchdown that was called back, just an incredible catch, incredible route, great separation. Diggs was just outstanding all through the game. And it always makes me wonder because as the season has worn on, I think teams are figuring out that that he is really their only consistent option. And McKenzie had another nice day. Gabe Davis had a touchdown, had a couple of difficult moments as well. Got called for a penalty and blocking, dropped a pass. And it just underscores the point of why Odell Beckham can be so important to their operation and, and what they're trying to do this season. It's less about taking time away from Gabe Davis and more about just being an overall headache when you're in 11 personnel, 10 personnel to the opposing defense. Because if you have Diggs and Odell Beckham out there, and, and let's say you're getting 
you know, 80% of what Odell Beckham was in the Super Bowl last year. That's still a really darn good receiver that can definitely help your offense. So it remains to be seen uh, how that whole thing pans out. But, you know, Diggs was was special in this game. And I understand 7 for 92 isn't the most special stat line. But considering how little they passed, how much how much they depended on the run for a lot of the second half and just how clutch he was every time that they needed to play. It was, it was an incredible effort by him. And the, the final point about the offense is that they did this whole thing a different way by controlling it and controlling the clock, controlling the ball, soul crushing, like incremental gains rather than, big splash gains continuing to take what the defense was giving as opposed to trying to take too much the Patriots were playing a lot of too high shell and the Bills solved it they continued to move the ball let's see did they have a three and out I have to go back and and look at my drive chart uh did they have a three and out they had one it was in the second quarter only one three and out throughout the game after, you know, really being disjointed. I've Every single drive, it, it felt like they had the potential to score. And sometimes the Patriots made plays, and that's what a good defense will do. But it seemed like the Bills were on it for a lot of that game. And then putting together a 15-play, 94-yard drive that went almost nine minutes of game time, started in the third quarter, ended at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and by that point, it was the game was basically done because the Bills were up 17 points and there was no way the Patriots were putting up 17 points in whatever it was, 13 minutes or a little under 14 minutes to go. It's just not going to happen with the way that the Patriots were playing. Getting that type of drive in that spot. By the time the the Patriots took over, uh, down 17 points, they had only run 31 offensive plays at that point. So just another clock-controlling game as opposed to quick-strike offense. The Bills won in a different way. And... That's why I came away impressed. But I I think this is also a, a good segue to the defense because I just mentioned that the Patriots only had 31 offensive plays run by the time they took over in the fourth quarter, down 17 points. And that's because of how well the defense played in a matchup that they should have done well with. Mac Jones... He's, he has his moments, no doubt. And he throws some really pretty passes from time to time. But when you have an overall distrust in your offensive line, it's tough to do damn near anything. And that's exactly what kind of evolved as the game went on. 
Shaq Lawson, Greg Rousseau, both did a great job. Both played a ton of snaps at the beginning of the game. Rousseau played 27 of the first 29 snaps at, at edge rusher for the Bills. And Shaq Lawson played 26 of the first 29. So basically, Boogie Basham and A.J. Epinesa for the first half of the game was pushed to the side. And from a Bills perspective, having Rousseau take 93% of the first 29 snaps and Shaq Lawson almost 90% of the first 29 snaps, that's usually unheard of in a Sean McDermott-Leslie Frazier defense, for defensive ends anyway. So they did a really nice job winning on the edge. You know, Trent Brown was came into the game with an illness at left tackle, and Shaq Lawson did a nice job there. Connor McDermott, the former Bills player, uh, has tends to struggle from time to time, and Greg Rousseau did a nice job on that side of things. The Bills blitzed a bit more, as we thought they might. And then having that level of protection with Tremaine Edmonds next to Matt Milano and Tredavious White back in the lineup in almost a full-time role. That was humongous for them too. So getting that out of that defense in a game where they should have won is a is a big-time confidence booster that they can have an overall complete win because I felt like this was a pretty complete win for, for the Bills. Which leads us to the cornerback position. Because all in all, that is another one of those, really not a micro change, but pretty significant one with how they had been handling it before the Patriots game to how they might handle it moving forward. So coming into the game, oh, the Lions game was a pretty shape-shifting one in itself because it was Tredavious White's first game back. Christian Benford suffers an injury in the second half. He gets put on injured reserve as a result of it. It's an oblique injury, so he's out at least the next four games, including the Patriots game. And they mixed in Kyrie Elam. Dane Jackson had struggled for the last, really, three games. So it was kind of a, a watershed game to where if you were going to make some changes, that game was a great reason to make those changes. And they did. You know, Tredavious White got back to nearly a full-time role. He played in every single defensive series except for two, and there were reasons for both. The first one was after he suffered a stinger in the previous series, on the final play, it was to force a punt, and they checked him out. They cleared him, but they kept him off the field just in, as kind of as a precaution, I would I would assume. So there was that one, and then the one at the end of the game where the Bills were already up by 17 points, and the Patriots really weren't moving the ball that well at that point. I think that was just, a, okay, the game's in hand. Tredavious White has played nearly a full game. Let's just call it where they, they, I'm assuming, were very happy with how much he was able to play and certainly his success in doing so. But it's what happened at the second cornerback spot that is so big of a change. Of course, Tredavious White getting back to a full-time role and 
by the way, I think this is now all forces go with Tredavious White. I don't think they go back to a halftime role from here. I think he is the guy moving forward. And maybe they take him out at the end of, game, end of games like they did at uh, against the Patriots because the game was in hand. And maybe they're, they're just cautious with some injury scares here or there. But for the most part, as long as it's, it's a close game and doesn't get dinged up, I think it's all forces go from this point forward. But the second cornerback spot, up to this game, we had not seen a game in which where Dane Jackson was active that they didn't use him almost every single snap. But they did. Uh, they, they took him off the field, effectively benching him. Not totally, but for the most part. He only played on two defensive series with Tredavious White throughout the game. Which led the way, and you know, it was, the writing was kind of on the wall. He became a problem, both at the line of scrimmage with how receivers were releasing against him, and then at the catch point. And if you don't have one or the other, then it's going to be a struggle and teams are going to go after you. So I get why the Bills made that move. But it wasn't for Kyir Elam, which, you know, I whiffed. I, I thought that this was a spot where Elam might have a chance to shine and where the Bills might play a little bit more man coverage. They wound up making him a healthy scratch. And that is... I don't want to say like a, a big concern, but whenever your first round rookie is being a healthy scratch in a situation where the starting cornerback role is completely unsettled, that's that's cause for concern. Not like, oh my God, he's a bust already sort of deal, but being a healthy scratch in totality, at this point of his rookie year, that's a tough one. Because it's not as though he had to beat Christian Benford for a spot. He's on IR. Dane Jackson had been struggling like crazy, but he's still getting reps out there. And then the other one is Xavier Rhodes, who they just called up or they just promoted from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. It's not as though they went out and got a, a locked-in starter to just play this year and steady the ship until Elam is ready to take over the job next year. This does cast some doubt about Kair Elam, and how can it not? So we'll see where it goes from here. I think a component to him being a healthy scratch is because he doesn't really play a ton of special teams. I've only seen him used in games on kickoff coverage. So maybe that's a factor of why, why Cam Lewis got the game. But again, that, that doesn't make a great deal of sense only because 
Dean Marlowe was a healthy scratch for the game. So, and he's a special teams guy through and through. It's just a very weird sort of uh, circumstance for Kyrie Elam. And at this point, you can't really see it changing. Especially with the success that they had on defense. I would assume that they just continue to roll with what, what they did. And that probably means that Xavier Rhodes, even though he's up there in age and not what he used to be, is probably the lesser of all evils right now. They, When they're going through in, in such an important end of season and in such an important year, I think they are valuing experience and overall reliability to be where they're, where they're supposed to be as opposed to raw ability in terms of the boundary cornerback spot. Because Elam just, in zone, not there just yet. Dane Jackson has had his difficulties defending, defending the pass and breaking up passes. Xavier Rhodes, is he perfect? No. Is he going to get beat? Yep. It's just not what he used to be as a uh, when the Bills are in man coverage. But in zone, I think he can be more proficient than what what Elam is. I think he can more play make more plays on the ball than Dane Jackson because Xavier Rhodes' arms go from the Orchard Park facilities to the two nineteen. <laughs> He's got really long arms. It's crazy. And that is something that they covet in their boundary cornerbacks, especially in in zone coverage, to be able to break up those passes and get into plays where maybe they lose a step or half a step. I would not be shocked if Xavier Rhodes continues along as the starter with Tredavious White and Dane Jackson shifting more into a bench role. Have to see uh, how we did, but... I will say that a couple of games ago when Xavier Rhodes, I think it was, I think he got 25 snaps as a practice squad elevation. Looked pretty good. Not crazy great, but sufficient. And I think they'll take sufficient as opposed to liability, which is what Jackson and Elam could be. I do wonder if this would have been Christian Benford's job had the uh, had he remained healthy. But I suppose that's something that we'll never know the answer to. Maybe we find out that answer next year, but he's on injured reserve for at least the next three games. And we'll see where it goes from there. But Xavier Rhodes was out there for all but two defensive series. And that's a pretty big statement. I mean, he's got a history of success throughout his career. It hasn't gone as well in the past couple of seasons. So there will be times where you'll probably get frustrated with him, but overall, for the for the greater good, in their eyes, I think Xavier Rhodes probably means a bit more reliability. 
So that cornerback spot has has been a journey this year, and I don't even know that we have reached the the end of the destination. But for what the Bills are trying to do, they at least have one of those spots locked in now, and that's Tredavious White getting all the way back or close to. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. All right, let's get into awards because it is now almost 3.30 in the morning. I'm probably annoying the people in the room next to me. I'm sorry. Um, And it is... uh, I have to get to the airport pretty soon. (laughs) To to be quite honest. Um, So we're going to get to the awards. And as always, we start off with the Dree Archer Award. And I'm going to give this to... One of the people I just talked about, which is Kair Elam, who was a healthy scratch in the game, just could not uh, could not have been a more concerning situation. I mean, if it was the injury, maybe. But losing out on an opportunity to take hold of the job in a week where... It seemed like it was up in the air. And as we saw with how they divvied up their playtime, it was. For him to not even be active is something. So, Dree Archer Award to Kair Elam. Now, for some insane reason, I, I when I wrote down the Vontae Davis Award in my notes, I didn't put anyone next to it <laughs> because I'm an idiot. Um, but... I think I'm going to give it to Naheem Hines. He had that really nice catch that went for, I think it was 21 yards uh, when Josh Allen kind of shoveled it and you didn't really know if he had crossed the line of scrimmage or not. That was a great play. But outside of that, I don't know that Hines had a touch in the second half despite being out there for let's see one uh only four snaps in the second half too so they kind of took him out of the game plan in that second half i guess once they had it in hand it was mostly james cook and devin singletary and when it still mattered it was mostly james cook which also pretty interesting the snaps wound up being 33 for james cook 32 for devin singletary by my count but the out of the last 11 snaps, 10 of them were Devin Singletary. And at that point, the Bills were already up 17 points. So when the Bills needed things, it was, or needed uh, some plays to be made. James Cook had 32 to Devin Singletary's 22. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is very interesting with how it moves forward. So Naheem Hines gets the Vontae Davis Award. The Matt Barkley Award for the player or thing that catches you by surprise for a good reason. I'm going to give that to Shaq Lawson, who didn't really have too much of a great pass rushing game against the Lions, but a good run defender, which is probably why he got the start in this game and played as much as he did. But him adding the pass rushing element to it in this game with knowing that he needed to step up without Von Miller available to them. Huge effort by him. And 
it's always been the story of Shaq Lawson's career. He's always he's always been a good run defender on the edge, but it was that pass rushing piece that all, had always been kind of lacking. His contract year, I think he put up a bunch of sacks, but it wasn't as though he was like an overwhelming presence. It felt like he was today, and I need to watch the film on him, but it was a pleasant surprise to see how proficient he was at getting into the backfield and making Mac Jones panic a little bit and distrust his offensive line in the process. So good job by Shaq Lawson. The Gotta Watch the Tape Award. I've got a serious one and a not serious one. I'll give it to the not serious one only because it's 325 in the morning. I'm going to give it to the light show in Gillette Stadium, which, I don't know. It was like the whole pregame, there was a QR code on the Jumbotron like, hey, Check in if you want to be a part of the light show, which is, I think, essentially them like, fans getting a link to where their phones just go kind of haywire um, for about a minute or two within the stadium. So I guess that's somewhat cool, but for the most part, pretty underwhelming. And I just saw it off in the distance as I was in line for... Uh, little halftime snack and just yeah wasn't wasn't great so this whole big mighty production of uh of like just hammering home hey gotta you gotta uh get in on the on the light show make sure you get on the light show it's all it's up there the entire freaking game just a bit underwhelming so i gotta watch the tape to see if the light show was better than than I thought it was. And finally, the uh, Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. You know, it could go a little bit more minuscule than this one, but it just doesn't feel that way. I think I have to give it to Tredavious White because first game where he's basically a full-time starter, only came out of the game out of precaution and because the game was in hand, so the Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance goes to him for you know, getting back out there. And it's now at a point where I think they don't need to uh, to worry about, about him anymore and incorporating him. I think it is time to fly for Tredavious White and being their locked-in 100% of snaps starting cornerback from here on forward. Could be wrong, but that's the way it... It feel like, felt like this was a big step for him. And my guess is that it continues on that track. All right. So the Bills now get the mini buy, which means they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Probably get back into the building on Monday. Don't know if they'll practice or anything like that. But um, the mini buy is good for all of them. You could tell that. The players were very excited to have a few days off, uh, especially after the game. Friday is also a big day because that's reportedly the day that Odell Beckham is going to be visiting the Bills. I asked Josh Allen what his role will be in the Odell Beckham visit, to which he cracked a smile and said, we'll see. Stefan Diggs said he's going to try his best but also admitted that he knows that Odell is going to be zipping around a bit, which 
I, I would assume means visits with our other teams. So that makes it kind of a big weekend. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, if the Bills can convince him not to go to Dallas. But I would assume that Odell Beckham will take his time and visit everywhere to make sure he makes a uh, an informed decision about where he wants to spend the rest of his season. And the Bills after that, after the weekend off, and once they get back for preparation, it's a game against the Jets and then a game against the Dolphins, both at home, both big games, both right now are playoff teams. And if the Bills can win those two, then they're in really good shape. Because at the end of it all, after all of this adversity, I, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but it's it, it's worth repeating. At the end of all of this, the disjointed offense, the the struggles with injuries, the some the occasional struggles on the defensive side of things. The Bills are now nine and three, half a game out of the the top seed in in the AFC, and if the Chiefs lose on the road to the Bengals and the Dolphins lose on the road to the 49ers, which are two very, um, uh, those are two things that can very well happen. Then the Bills will find themselves in the top seed on the AFC after 12 games. And it seems like it's, it's been a journey to, to get to this point over the last month and a half of the season. But I, I think the Bills are, Finally, at a at a at a good point, even though they've lost some some big guys along the way. I feel like that this Patriots game was a a bit of a turning point for them, and we'll see if that continues. All right, so that's going to do it for me. Uh, not only is it a mini buy for the players, it's going to be a mini buy for me. Uh, so the next time you'll he- hear from me will be later in the week, next week, to preview the Jets game. And really to see how this whole Odell Beckham thing shakes out, you know, I'll keep my eye on my phone. But uh, but yeah, it'll be be nice for not only just just me and players and and I think fans get a, getting a good weekend to refresh because three games in in twelve days that's that's a slog for fans too. I think <laughs> a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, mental space taken up by the football team in a very condensed amount of time. So enjoy the mini buy, everyone. I think uh, I think you all deserve it because once they get back and have a couple of games against the AFC East, we'll be right back into it to see how this whole thing is going to shake out the rest of the season. All right. So thank you all for joining me on this post game edition of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Uh, again, thanks to everyone. It's ridiculously early in the morning. Thank you for putting up with my meanderings. And I uh, uh, hope you all have an excellent weekend. And we will talk to you when the Bills are getting closer to taking, taking on the Jets at Highmark Stadium next week. See you then.